Uh, Matthew 20, verses 29 to 34. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now, as we begin, I want you to imagine um, the absolutely typical Christian. Um, So, have you got that image in your heads? Um, Somebody who is Christian through and through, Christian straight down the line, Everything that they are is kind of Christian. If you cut them, they bleed Christian. The absolutely typical Christian. Now, what are you picturing? Maybe you've got one of those kind of famous, iconic media portraits of a Christian um, in your mind. For me, growing up, that was Doc Cotton, the EastEnders character. I was going to say, perhaps you remember the character Doc Cotton from EastEnders, except I found out when I Googled it that actually she only came to an end as an EastEnders character last year in 2022, which means that she stuck with EastEnders for 27 years longer than I did. But maybe you're thinking of Doc Cotton, you know, that kind of ball of uh, complexity of sort of, um, uh, I don't know, forgiveness and prayer and Christianness and gossip and most of all, being a bit of a busybody. Maybe that's what you think a Christian is, or perhaps her American counterpart, Ned Flanders. He's all of those things, but is also very smug and self-satisfied. Maybe you'll think of something more respectable. Now, when I was um, first in Singapore, my wife and I moved there just over 10 years ago, um, and the Straits Times, the national papers there, were, was running a, a series of articles about a survey that had been conducted, uh, and this survey was about the demographic that made up the different kind of Christian denominations. And essentially, it fell into two halves. There were the mainline denominations, the the Methodists, the the Anglicans, the Baptists, the Presbyterians. Um, And they were basically white-collar, affluent, successful, the kind who would live in Bukit Timur and drive an SUV and send their children to ACSI and Hua Chong. Maybe you know them, right, okay? Um, You know that famous documentary? I think lots of you will have seen it, a very sort of hard-hitting, cutting documentary, uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, that one. It's like the Methodist mom in that. Um, and then there's the uh, megachurch demographic. Um, and the megachurch demographic was made up of people who were from a more blue-collar background, but kind of aspiring to be that. They wanted to be affluent and successful and middle-class and rich. Maybe you think of a Christian as being a success um, from the higher end of society. There have been times in the past where to be Christian has basically meant to be good and to be moral and to have standards. I wonder whether that's the way that my children sometimes think of what it is to be a Christian. Let me ask the question the other way. Who do you think that the kingdom is for? Is it for the successful, the affluent, the upstanding, the good, the religious? If you could take a snapshot of Zion's children on the way to their inheritance, and then you held up the photo after you'd developed it, 
what would you see? Well, we're in a section of Matthew's gospel that is all about uh, the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom, and the wider section from chapters 19 through to 22 or 23 centers on the arrival of the king, the Lord Jesus, in his city. Um, And when the Lord Jesus comes to his city, we find out that one of the big themes of this section is going to be the judgment and condemnation of those who reject him. Uh, Well, that's going to come in the following weeks. But we haven't quite got there yet. Uh, He gets to the city next week. And on the way there, we spend lots of time thinking about the kind of children that he is bringing to his city and the terms of entry of that kingdom, what kingdom life is like, who gets to benefit from it. And that's the question that we're still on this morning. Uh, What are the children of the kingdom like? Who is it for? Well, look down to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 29 again. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And look, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on our son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on our son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Our question is, what does the typical, the model Christian look like? And Matthew's purpose this morning is to show us that the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like these two blind men. But actually, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Because before we get to the people that the kingdom will belong to, he starts, we should start with the king. Let's start with the king of the kingdom. And the king of the kingdom is the compassionate Lord. Now, there's a lot that we could say about the Lord Jesus from these verses. Number one, we could talk about his concern. The, The assumption of nearly everybody in the passage is that Jesus is just too busy to pay attention to these blind men. Uh, Back in chapter 19, the disciples assumed the same thing, didn't they? They assumed that Jesus would be too busy for children. And the people who were bringing their children to the Lord Jesus really needed to stop it and to get out of the way. And now the crowds are, are following suit. The king is coming to his city. He's about to arrive in his capital. He has things to do. And of course, if Jesus were a king, anything like the king that James and John, and James and John were two characters we met last week, anything like the king that James and John imagined, then the crowd would be absolutely right. The rulers of the Gentiles do not have time to stop for blind beggars. Well, unless there's a photo opportunity in it. But Jesus does. And first of all, we could notice his concern. And more than his concern, his compassion. The blind men cry out twice, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stops and he asks them what they want him to do for them. They ask for their eyes to be opened. And then did you see it? Verse 34, Jesus in pity touched their eyes. I don't know why the ESV's translated this in pity here, because every other time in Matthew's gospel, you have the same words. They translate it as compassion. 
Um, It's the word that is used when Jesus, back in chapter 9, looks out on the crowd and he sees that they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion on them. In other words, it hit him in the gut. He had compassion on them. First of all, he's concerned. More than that, he is compassionate. And of course, most strikingly, he's powerful. It is so easy to forget that at the most fundamental level, the reason why Matthew wrote his gospel and the reason why you have it in front of you is because these things actually happened. In other words, there really was a day when there was a great crowd that was actually passing through Jericho, which is a real place uh, just outside Jerusalem. And somehow over the din, two beggars really did manage to make their voice heard and get Jesus' attention. And Jesus, Jesus really did stop. And he loved them. And then he did something that nobody, either then or now, could do. He touched their blind eyes and they saw. It is a window on who he is. Did you see what the blind men cry out twice? Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And in all three parts of that sentence, they are absolutely spot on. Number one, they're right. He is the son of David. That's one of the things that Matthew's been showing from the beginning. He is the Davidic king coming to his capital, coming to Jerusalem. He is the son of David. More than that, though, he's not just the son of David because he is the kind of son who's also David's lord. Uh, If you read on in a, a couple of chapters time, Jesus is going to direct their attention to Psalm 110 to say, look, the son of David, he's not just a son. He's the kind of son who is Lord, God himself, uh, sitting enthroned at God's right hands. And of course, because he's the Lord, they're also right that he is merciful and compassionate, that he is good. And the point is that this is the king of the kingdom. Now, perhaps you're a visitor um, here this morning who wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And if that's true, um, you really are so welcome um, amongst us. Um, This is what we're all about. Um, I hope you like being here. I hope that uh, you feel welcomed. I hope you feel safe here. Um, I hope that you find the teaching stimulating. I really hope that. Um, I hope you like the songs. But what we are really about, what we're really about is this king. And what we would love you to know and to see is that he is so good. Actually, it's what all of us need to remember, don't we? Um, All of us need to remember that the kingdom of the Lord Jesus is good. And perhaps like me, you pray every day, your kingdom come. And why do we pray your kingdom come? Well, because we trust that when the kingdom comes, that is going to be good. And why do we believe that the kingdom, when it comes, is going to be good? Well, because we know the king, because we know the Lord Jesus. It's such a perfect combination, isn't it? Awesome power married with 
gut-wrenched concern. Jesus' power is awesome, isn't it? There is no dictator living who could command blind eyes to open. And no matter how domineering they might be, none of the rulers of the Gentiles could do a thing like this. It's a point worth taking. The problem with the kings of the Gentiles that Jesus was talking about last week is not that they have too much power. The problem with the rulers of the Gentiles is not that they have too much power. Jesus has more power in his little finger than the mightiest tyrants. What is so staggering is that he stops and he listens and he loves these two blind beggars and he opens their eyes. Of course, the kingdom is good. It's got a king like this. But of course, that doesn't answer our opening question. Granted that the kingdom is so good and granted that it has such a wonderful king. Who is the kingdom for? And who do the children, what do the children of the kingdom look like? Well, our second point this morning, the children of the kingdom are unblinded beggars. Uh, Let's read it again, verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And look, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now, right off the bat, there is a a contrast with James and John. If this is your first week with us this morning, I'm so sorry that I didn't think to suggest that we could read the last passage as well um, on the way. But last week, we we had James and John, these two disciples, coming to the Lord Jesus and asking to sit at his right hand and his left when he came into his glory. Um, And then Jesus uh, rebuked his disciples and told them that it's the kings of the Gentiles who think like that. But he came to serve, and the first and the greatest in the kingdom used to be a servant and a slave like him. Well, that's last week. And right off the bat here, the contrast with James and John is obvious. Actually, the passages, they have the same structure. And so you begin with a pair. Um, Last week, James and John. This week, the two blind men. Um, And then they somehow managed to get Jesus' attention. Um, Last week, they, they used their mother. And then Jesus asks them the same question. What do you want? And then they answer him. The very fact that there are two blind men, I think, rather drives this home. Last week, we had a a pair of brothers who wanted to sit with Jesus when he came into his kingdom. And this week, as he gets a little bit closer to coming into his kingdom, we have a pair sitting in the dust who just want to see. And for all that they're a million miles away from James and John... Um, The blind men are absolutely right. Matthew wants to portray them, I think, as ideal disciples. Why do I say that? Well, first of all, there's the parallel with the little children from back in chapter 19. 
Remember the disciples rebuking the, the, the disciples rebuking the crowds for bringing their little children to Jesus, and Jesus saying, "The children, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these." And here the crowds rebuking the blind men for coming to Jesus. But that parallel it suggests that these are the sort of people to whom the kingdom belongs. And then, well, then there's the. Um, uh, the things that they say, we've already noticed that. Um, the Lord, the son of David, the merciful one. In other words, their response is textbook. But to seal the deal, there's what they do. I look at verse 34. Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and they followed him. Um, ever since Matthew chapter 16, and we've had these words hanging over the section. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem and he said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whatever it was that James and John had in mind for what they get out of the Lord Jesus last week, they were not thinking of this. They weren't thinking of denying themselves, taking up their cross and following him. But these two blind men, well, having got Jesus' identity absolutely right, the son of David, the Lord, they then have their eyes opened and they do. Look at verse 34. They recovered their sight and they followed him on the way. They're model disciples. They understand who Jesus is and they follow him. But that brings the answer to our question to a very sharp point, doesn't it? Who is the kingdom for? And who is the straight-down-the-line disciple? And the answer is unblinded beggars. Yes, unblinded. They're no longer in the dark. But still beggars, with nothing to bring, with no hope, just a plea for mercy and a compassionate king. Actually, I think that radically focuses what we've been saying over the last few weeks and we said, didn't we, that this kingdom is a kingdom of grace that is all about the goodness of the master um, who, who, who gives people a reward, not on the basis of what they've done, but just because of his goodness and his grace. And we said it was for children, not because children are so cute and not because children are so innocent, but because children are a picture of, of needs who don't really have anything to bring there was the man who came to Jesus asking what he could do to inherit eternal life. And the answer was, well, nothing. What you actually need to do is to trust in the God of the impossible. And all the way through, we've been seeing the same thing. But here it comes into high definition. Who is the kingdom for? Who is the ideal disciple? Well, the spiritually poor. Beggars who have been given their sights. On the one hand, this is very confronting. You see, I don't think the point is that the kingdom is also for the spiritually poor, for beggars who have been given their sight, as though it's mostly for middle-class people, but thank goodness that Jesus is inclusive. No, it means that unless you see yourself in them, then it's not for you. This is the kind of people that it's for. When I was a teenager, I went to a, a kind of middle of the road, um, somewhat high, somewhat liberal 
um, somewhat ball of contradictions, Church of England Church um, in my village. Um, and my father had a number of runs. He was a, a, a lay minister, and he had a number of run-ins with the, the vicar um, in this church. And one time, the run-in was about the liturgy for the communion service. They were about to share the communion service. And the vicar said to my dad, well, he looked at the prayer we're about to pray, actually. And you might know it's the prayer of um, humble access. Um, we're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. Um, and he looked at that prayer. And he said, I'm just so fed up of all of this groveling. Why do we have to grovel all the time? And maybe you think that's right. You know, you kind of get a grip. Why be so negative? And why be so downbeat? You know, there are churches um, all over the world, and some famous Asian churches actually, that refuse to say confession prayers, like the one that we'll say in a minute, because they think it is too negative to remind Christians that they're sinners in need of forgiveness. Focus on the positives. I'm fed up of all of this groveling. Maybe you feel that way. It is worth asking, isn't it? Do we see ourselves as unblinded beggars? Now, last week we were saying that James and John probably aren't that much like us. We don't think that we're jostling for power and trying to be successful in the kingdom. But but I guess this passage does rather bring it into focus. What if it's not a spectrum? What if it's a choice? What if you're either like James or John, or you're like these blind beggars? Well, it does raise the question, doesn't it? We might be a bit more like James and John than we're willing to think. It is very easy to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus who has lost sight of grace. Um, I wasn't there to hear the conversation, but apparently my dad's response to the vicar of this church was, John, I think sometimes a bit of groveling might be appropriate. I just so. Lord, have mercy, son of David. On the one hand, it's very confronting, but it's also very encouraging, isn't it? Because here is the thing. There will be people here this morning who are on their knees, uh, all of us at one time or another, are crushed by failure, and unable to understand how our best amounts to so little. You know you've got nothing to bring. All our aspirations to share the spotlight with the Lord Jesus, to be there on the stage with him at his right and his left, obviously fallen by the way. Life can be very humbling, can't it? And my own shortcomings, they never cease to amaze me. It never ceases to. And if you feel that all you have left is to cry out to Jesus for mercy, well, what Matthew wants to understand is that the kingdom is for you. The kingdom is for you. Actually, it's even more encouraging than that. Because even if you're not seeing things all that clearly, and even if you still mostly want to jostle with James and John, there is good news here. There is a king who can make those who can't see the cross and who can't see the king clearly. There is a king who can make the blind to see. And so this is for all of us. Lift up your voice. Lord Jesus, 
son of David, have mercy on me. Let my eyes be opened. And as we pray that prayer, we know that Jesus' kingdom and his city is for us. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you so much for the living Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you that he is so good. We thank you for his extraordinary power and power to um, open the eyes, to make all things new and to raise the dead. We thank you for his incredible goodness, for his compassion and for his concern, uh, for his love. We praise you so much for our king, and we thank you for the certainty we can have that his kingdom is and will be so good. And we praise you for him. And we want to pray, our Father, that you would help us to see ourselves rightly too. And please would you lift the Lord Jesus up in our eyes and would you lower um, our own estimations about ourselves and help us to see ourselves as those who have nothing more to do than to cry out for mercy. And please, Father, by your spirit, would you assure us and that you are merciful, and that the kingdom is for such as these. In Jesus' name, amen.